We were encouraged just a few minutes ago to be a people, to be a church that praises the Lord, that worships God. Yeah, let's get that into us. Soul, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Call on the Lord. Tell him he's awesome and wonderful and worthy to be praised. Hallelujah, God, be praised. Let's praise the Lord. Let's keep that spirit. Let's keep that, uh, that attitude. Pastor Barry was up here and mentioning too it. He's trying to, to say every single morning, praise the Lord. I had a little difficult time this morning praising the Lord, but I, I did my best like we heard Pastor Barry to say, Lord, thank you, praise you. Last night I woke up at 3.23, hot and sweating. I said to Julie, hey, where's the remote for the ceiling fan? Well, I got it and the ceiling fan would not work. No power. So I thought, it'll, it, it, it'll be back before morning. No, wasn't back. I've, we rely on our electricity for everything. I, I don't have a hot water tank that's uh, electric, but it needs an electric blower motor to get the carbon monoxide out so the hot water wouldn't, wasn't on. Uh, the refrigerator's not on. I went to grind my coffee beans. Guess what? Can't do it. So I went into my garage with my $700 flashlight and found a hammer. And I folded over a paper plate and I pounded some coffee beans. Went in the basement and found the old tea kettle because we use an electric now. Put it on the gas stove, but it wouldn't light because it needs the little electric spark. So I looked for the matches. Julie, where's the matches? There was, they're not where, anyway, we're out of them. So I found a lighter, got the stove working, heated some water, made the worst cup of coffee. Oh, I could not smash enough beans. And as I was having that coffee and grumbling, I did turn to Julie and I said, you know, I've got to say thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, thank you. You know, it could be so much worse. <laughs> It was weak, but it was coffee, and you know, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I've got, to, I've got to have that attitude. Hallelujah, God be praised. That's part of living our faith, isn't it? Despite our first world troubles when the electricity goes out. And this morning, I'm continuing a theme that has been part of the past several excellent Sunday messages, and I say they were excellent because Hey, I'm not bragging about myself. I didn't bring those messages. Those were excellent messages, and uh, they are on this theme. They were, they had this thread about staying true and committed to your faith in Jesus Christ. We heard from Pastor Noah, and he gave us a reminder and a challenge to do as Joshua did so, so many years ago, declaring as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And I hope you embraced that and continue to say that. And then we heard from Pastor Barry who talked to us about staying as committed as the three young Judean youth who did not bow down to an idol. 
even though they were threatened with being cast into a fiery furnace, and then indeed they were. They had drawn a line, that proverbial line in the sand, and they did not cross it. They decided in their heart to not waver from God's word. And of course, we were encouraged to do the same. We can make that decision to not waver from God's word and his truth. And last week, we heard from Dr. Annalee Dunn about the just living by faith. Again, this thread continued. Make that declaration that you're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. And live it every day, despite what the culture just continues to push into your face. Live your faith, live that gospel. Live the power of God unto salvation. And this morning, I'm gonna touch on the life of one whose faith was continually challenged, continually challenged. His name was Jeremiah, and uh, yes, Brother Barry mentioned yesterday, I, I did give a bit of a preview, very short, and encouraged anyone who listened to read Jeremiah chapter 32. That's where we're gonna be this morning. If you have your Bible, just get your thumb, your bookmark, your electronic marker, whatever it is, to Jeremiah 32, we're going to go through just about the entire chapter. A little bit about Jeremiah first. Jeremiah was born when his nation, the nation of Israel, was just a fraction of what had been its earlier glory, its earlier splendor. The nation had split into two kingdoms after uh, the great King Solomon had died. There was a north kingdom called Israel, a south kingdom called Judah. When Jeremiah was born, the north kingdom had already been conquered by the Assyrians. It was gone. He was at, in the smaller southern kingdom. It was called Judah. And Judah was just the tribe of Judah, their land, and the tribe of Benjamin, which was small. Jeremiah was born when his nation was being threatened. Before or, or just before it would be threatened to be conquered by the Babylonians. He was young when he was called by God. Young man, perhaps his late teens. If he was 20, that would be about as old as he likely was. And the king of Judah at the time of Jeremiah's calling by God it was King Josiah, and he was a good king. He was a good king in this small kingdom of Judah. Josiah led a revival, and he had found the word of God that had been hidden in the temple, and he encouraged the nation to follow the word of God, and he changed things in the temple to bring back proper order and the right way to worship and sacrifice. But it was a short-lived revival. Depravity turned very quickly, after uh, Josiah died, and he brought this revival late in his reign. He was 18 years in his reign before he really uh, caught on to everything that God was about, and he had found the word of God, so it was just maybe 10 years. And then it was turning back to the evil ways. The kings, the priests, the officials, the people, they turned against Jeremiah. Jeremiah had been called at a very young age 
to be a prophet for God. He lived through this uh, short revival time, but he was prophesying that the nation was going to fall, and the people didn't like it, the kings didn't like it, the priests. Uh, they turned against him. One time he was beaten, he was put in stocks. He was living a hard life. I thought smashing coffee beans for a cup of coffee was bad. This guy was getting beaten because he was bringing God's word. They put him in stocks. Even though he was from a family of priests, the priests turned against him and wanted him dead. The false prophets of the nation wanted him dead. Jeremiah had prophesied through the last five kings of Judah and he saw the nation fall. He saw much trouble. But nevertheless, nevertheless, he was a man who could say what we sung in song this morning. All my life you have been faithful. Jeremiah was termed uh, the weeping prophet because of all the trouble that he lived through. He wrote the book of Lamentations. A lament, it's a dirge. It's a really sad story. He wrote Lamentations. And it is a sad story if you read it. It's really just the guy pouring out his heart. But in the middle of the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah was the one that wrote the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I didn't have that in my notes, but I thought it, it was such a great encouragement hearing that song this morning. All my life you've been faithful. Can you say that even though you might have had some trouble? Think about a guy like Jeremiah. He's in his teens or 20s and he, he, he's likely going to become a priest. God calls him to be a prophet and his life turns into this just rejection and abuse and being beaten and put in stocks, even imprisoned. And yet he could say, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. And then he went on to write, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will have hope, right? I hope you have hope this morning, regardless of what might be life. Jeremiah lived through it. He was mocked by kings, imprisoned. When we get to the 32nd chapter of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's about 39 years into his ministry now. And the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, he's been to Judah twice now to invade. The first invasion, he had harvested the best and the brightest, like Daniel and his friends, Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, who we heard about when Pastor Barry preached. They were renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Pastor Barry spoke of their line in the sand saying, live by faith. They were living by faith. The second invasion of Nebuchadnezzar, he captured the strong and the able-bodied people like Ezekiel. Took those people to the outskirts of Babylon, made them canal diggers to work irrigation for the city. Now at the time of the 32nd chapter of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is detailed. We know the time because he writes the times. He tells us at the opening of the 32nd chapter, it's the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah. It's the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. We know the time. We know the point in history. It was a less than a year before Jerusalem was going to utterly fall completely and the complete nation of Judah would be gone. Their fall was imminent. Let's read the first three verses of Jeremiah 32. 
it, it, it introduces it and lets us know. Jeremiah 32, verse one through three, it says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, why do you prophesy as you do? You say, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. And the king went on, and he just ridiculed Jeremiah about why would you be giving us this message of doom and gloom? Well, the city was being attacked now for the third time. Nebuchadnezzar had come. He was laying siege to the city, surrounding it, cutting off supply lines, keeping the food out, keeping supplies out, and he'd soon be building ramps to get over the walls of Jerusalem and totally raise the city. But the king of Judah wouldn't hear any of it. King Zedekiah, he stubbornly refused to hear the word of God from Jeremiah, the true prophet. He would not hear that the city would be defeated and the nation would fall. And he complained about Jeremiah's prophecies. And he had him confined right, right outside the, the palace guard in their courtyard so that he could not spread his message of doom and gloom. And it was there where Jeremiah was confined and he was sequestered by the king's guard, that the Lord came to him, and the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord gave Jeremiah a really strange task. Chapter 32, verses 6 to 15. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field at Anathoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. So this is, this is Jeremiah's cousin. God says, your cousin is coming from Anathoth. And that was Jeremiah's hometown. It was a town of priests. Your cousin's gonna come and say, buy my land. Verse eight, then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field at Anahoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions as well as the unsealed copy. And I gave this deed to Barak, son of Neriah, the son of Mahasiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel and of the witnesses who had signed the deed and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. In their presence, I gave Barak these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both the sealed and the unsealed copies of the deed of the purchase and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Now, this was really an odd, strange request of the Lord, even though it seems Jeremiah 
had some understanding of what it was all about. But God had come and told him, buy your cousin's land. Seriously, that's an odd request. The nation is about to fall. The capital city of Jerusalem is surrounded by the enemy. They've already besieged it. They've already cut off supplies. They're going to be setting up the ramps to take over the city. Jeremiah knows this. He has been preaching this for nearly a 40-year prophetic career. He's been saying, Judah's going to fall. Judah will fall. And now it's evident. Time's running out. In no time, the land is going to be worthless. And most of the able, if there any are left, Babylon's not going to have mercy on them. The houses are going to be burned. The land's going to be raised. It's, it's going to be terrible. I would say it's really going to be bad for the real estate market. It's like going to be non-existent. It's really not the time to shell out 17 shekels of silver and buy somebody's land. Why in the world would anybody be investing in land knowing tomorrow it's going to be worthless? Well, Jeremiah did it. He could have better use that money to plan his escape to Egypt. But, again, he didn't. He was immediately obedient to this word. Without hesitation, when his cousin arrived, and his cousin said, hey, Jeremiah, let's make a deal. Jeremiah said, I knew it was the word of the Lord. And he made the deal. He weighed out the money. He had the deed signed, and he had it all witnessed, many witnesses. He kept originals, and he put seals on the originals, and he kept copies. He had his assistant, Barak, store those originals and those copies in a clay jar, and that was their method of safekeeping. Consider the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were copies of the Old Testament, written around 200 B.C., and they were put in clay jars. And they were discovered in 1947. That's nearly 2,000 years of storage in clay jars. And the entire scroll of Isaiah was found. And it's on display in the museum in Israel. So the clay system really wasn't a bad system of safekeeping. And Jeremiah used it. Immediately bought the land, sealed the deeds, then had them safeguarded. Now, what is it that we might instantly, instantly take away from this narrative? One, a key characteristic of living by faith, a key characteristic is obedience. Obedience to the word of God. Obedience when it makes no sense at all. It was the worst possible financial thing for Jeremiah to do. Invest in real estate. It's foolish. But he knew, he knew it was the word of God. And since it was the word of the Lord, he did it. And he did it without hesitation. To say that the word of God doesn't make any sense, well, it's often an excuse. It's an excuse to ignore the word of God. Well, it just doesn't make sense. It's an excuse to decide in your own heart, you'll walk over the line. You'll walk beyond the line of scripture, the, the, the line of scripture that says stop right here, but it doesn't make sense, Lord, so I'll just keep on going. On, on more than one occasion, 
I've counseled people who have been living together outside the bonds of marriage. So I, I ask, why are you doing this? Simple question, why won't you get married? And I've received this answer, it doesn't make sense. I will lose my child support. I've, I've heard this too. It doesn't make sense tuition grant for my child will be lost. Most often in this situation, it's been, it just doesn't make sense for our finances. So marriage is going to wait. We can't follow God's word. Guess what? Because it doesn't make sense. I, I was walking down the back hall here one day a good number of years ago. And there was a couple sitting there. They just didn't look very happy. And a very seasoned Christian, I will call a Jeremiah, came walking by. This, this was a person, 40 years or more a Christian, had seen good times, had seen hard times, but had yet been a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. This was a person who I could say has taken hold of what we've heard for the past several messages, a person who is living by faith. And I witnessed this Jeremiah come up to this sort of sad-looking couple and, and say, hey, you don't look so happy. What's troubling you? And the wife responded. She said, oh, we're having some issues. Work is slow, and uh, we've been struggling with bills, and we've been struggling with the finances. And this Jeremiah, without missing a beat, said, you stop tithing. And the woman responded very honestly and said, yeah, it's been some time. We just can't afford it. Well, then Jeremiah sat down next to this couple and started to explain some things. And that's about all I heard of this conversation. But in the weeks and a few months to follow, I saw this couple smiling more. And one day I asked, how are you doing? And I heard the testimony. I heard the story about how on that day, when they were asked, are you tithing or have you stopped? They said, we've stopped. And they were counseled to put the Lord first. Put the Lord first. And they renewed their commitment to following the word of God. And things began to turn in their lives. Work started picking back up. They found ways to eliminate some costs. And in a few months, they were just back on track. And they had said, we're not going to look back. We are going to keep this commitment. We're going to be obedient to the Lord, even when it doesn't make sense. That's, that's something that we can take away from Jeremiah this morning. Didn't make sense, but he just followed what the word of the Lord said. And yet, when it doesn't make sense, when the word of God doesn't make sense, it doesn't mean we can't ask for clarity. And that's what Jeremiah did. He reached out to the Lord and he asked, in essence, Lord, what is this all about? And Jeremiah's prayer begins in verse 17 of chapter 32. Jeremiah prayed, ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And Jeremiah's prayer went on. He said, 
Lord, you pro you performed so many great signs and wonders and you've saved us from the Egyptians and you gave Israel all this land and you helped us to keep it and you prospered us. But now, Lord, Jerusalem is going to fall. And, and let's read the final words of Jeremiah's prayer. It's verses 24 and 25. See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city because of the sword, famine, and plague the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened, as you now see. And though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. And that's the end of Jeremiah's prayer. In essence, I see him saying, Lord, why? The city's going to fall. Lord, the nation's going to fall. Why did you have me buy this field with the silver? And why did you have to have the transaction witnessed? None of it made sense. Well, the good news is we are not left hanging. The remainder of this chapter is, in essence, the explanation from God and a follow-up from Jeremiah. God answered and he explained it thoroughly to Jeremiah and we should take notice. Jeremiah 32, verses 26 to 28. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? He asked the question to the statement Jeremiah had made. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to give this city into the hands of the Babylonians and to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who will capture it. Jeremiah had begun his prayer saying, Lord, nothing's too difficult for you. But it seemed his faith was being pressed a little. That happens to us. Even when we're doing our best, we're making our best efforts to live by faith, and we're declaring, Lord, there's nothing too difficult for you we can still be pressed. We can still be asking the Lord questions. And God responded, Jeremiah, nothing is too difficult for me. Listen, Jeremiah, the city is going to fall to Nebuchadnezzar. And then the Lord went on in great detail. The city's going to fall. It's going to be burned. All the houses are going to be burned. The temple's going to get destroyed. The Lord detailed all the evil that the people were doing and the reasons why this was going to come. But he also said, I will restore I will bring the people back. And let's read the final words of the Lord's response to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32, verses 40 to 44. The Lord speaking, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. This is what the Lord says. As I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will give them all the prosperity I have promised them. Once more, fields will be bought in this land of which you say, it is a desolate waste without people or animals. For it has been given into the hands of the Babylonians. Fields will be bought for silver. Deeds will be signed and sealed and witnessed in the territory of Benjamin, in the villages around Jerusalem, in the towns of Judah, and in the towns of the hill country, of the western foothills, and of the Negev, because I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord.
Now that's an amazing promise. Jeremiah, you bought the land. You bought it. You made a very foolish, foolish uh, financial investment. It made no sense whatsoever. But it's a sign, Jeremiah. It's a sign that once more fields will be bought. Once more, uh, there will be deeds signed and sealed. And they will be witnessed. And that came to pass. That came to pass. God did restore the people from Babylon to Jerusalem. The city was rebuilt. The walls were restored. The temple of God was reconstructed and dedicated again. Jeremiah had put his sign and seal deed in a safe place, a secure place. And it, it was a sign of the safe and the secure promise of God. This parchment scroll, it, it, could, it could last 2,000 years in a jar of clay. We know that. We have proof of that. God said to Jeremiah, something even better, something that's going to last more than 2,000 years, something that's going to last forever. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And that everlasting covenant is forever. It's never fading. It's never ending. It's never corrupting. It's always reliable. It's perpetually preserved, and it's the promise of God. And that everlasting covenant is none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the everlasting covenant. Yes, the temple was rebuilt. It was rebuilt. And yes, sacrifice was restored. Sacrifice was necessary, and it was still necessary for a time. And all the peop although the people were restored to Judah, and they had turned from their, their idol-worshiping ways, they were still not perfect. They still continued to sin. They still needed sacrifice. It was still necessary because of sin. But Jesus Christ, he came to earth. He was the one and the only perfect and final sacrifice. Jesus gave his life to remove forever the necessity of sacrifice. God the Father received that offering. He received that offering and that sacrifice that Jesus Christ made as the final and the complete sacrifice for sin. And by Jesus, the everlasting covenant spoken of by God to Jeremiah, it was perpetually established the everlasting covenant for jeremiah the safest most secure place was a jar of clay stowed away in a cave perhaps what's your most safe place is it is it a safe uh in your house or your garage some four bolt safe that's the uh, digital and biometric or something like that is that your safest place the covenant of jesus christ is safer and it's more secure and it's preserved forever. It will never, ever be lost. It'll never expire. And God saw fit. God saw fit to deposit that signed and sealed deed, if you will, that everlasting covenant. He saw fit to deposit it in you. Christ in you. A jar of clay. And that's how the New Testament apostle Paul describes receiving the light of God's glory, which is the everlasting covenant of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul wrote, we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's Christ in us. He's, just, he's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's a treasure in us, jars of clay. We've been created from the dust of the earth. God created us from clay, and yet he sees fit to deposit in us the 
everlasting covenant of Jesus Christ. That's amazing, and it ought to make us be in just so thrilled to be living by faith that being obedient to the word of God and putting God first, that should, that should happen even when it doesn't make sense at all because he's deposited the everlasting covenant in us. Even when we're facing some hardship, even if we're facing the fall of a city or the fall of a nation, yes, the culture's going backwards and it's going to all kinds of crazy places and things we might never thought we'd see in our own lives. And some of us might say, the nation's falling. Well, God has given you an everlasting promise despite that happening. And, and you can say he's faithful. All my life he's been faithful and he's gonna continue it even when his word doesn't make sense, even when it looks like a nation's gonna fall. And what about those who might be outside the kingdom of God? What about them? When the city's falling, the nation's falling, things are going uh, in a direction they shouldn't, where there's no hope at all, is the everlasting covenant for them? Of course it is. Yes, it is. Jesus said these words to his faithful friend, John. Revelation chapter three, verse 20. Here I am. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Here I am, Jesus said. I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'm gonna come in. Jeremiah had brought the word of God to the people. Some heard and they believed. Daniel was one of them. Daniel had heard Jeremiah he knew he received the word of God, and he believed. And although Daniel was taken to Babylon, Daniel prayed, and he pleaded with the Lord about the promise he heard through Jeremiah that the captivity would only be 70 years. He believed, Daniel did. But some heard and didn't believe. It did not make sense to them. Even with the Babylonians laying siege to the city for the third time, King Zedekiah, I'm not gonna hear it. No, I'm not gonna listen to you. I don't believe it. It doesn't make sense. God is supposed to be the God who'll take care of us. He heard from all his false prophets, didn't believe Jeremiah. No matter, Jeremiah brought the word. He was obedient to God's word, even though, eh, can't figure it out does not compute. He spoke the word of the Lord, even though it caused him to be beaten and imprisoned, because God's word was sure and secure. And he declared to Jeremiah his intention to establish the everlasting covenant. His covenant was established. It was established by the blood of Christ. And that may not make sense to some of us in this room. Ah, why does a guy gotta die for all of this? It might not make sense that God wanted uh, to have sin atoned by sacrifice that required blood. You might need some clarification on it. You might need to ask some questions about it. But it's a promise. It's a promise that has been preserved and it's as sure today as me standing here talking to you. The everlasting covenant of Jesus Christ and God wants to deposit that into you, a jar of clay. He does. There's no 
doubt about it. If you've never opened that door of your heart to Jesus Christ, he's saying to you right now, right now he's saying, I'm here. I'm here. Jesus is saying, I'm knocking. I am the everlasting covenant for you. I will forgive all of your sins. Wow, that just doesn't make sense. But if you open the door and if you receive the forgiveness, I'm gonna come in and be with you. I will fill your jar of clay. Can you find faith to believe that? No, no, you might say no. You don't know my sins. You don't know what I've done. You don't know all that's behind me. I could never be completely forgiven. My slate could never completely be wiped clean. I want to let you know God said this. There is nothing too difficult for me. Some of us have been there. Oh, our wrongs are too many. Our sins are too great. That, that, that idea of forgiveness and Jesus gave his life, it sounds great. I'm too bad off. Some of us in here thought that. But we came to realize the truth. Nothing is too difficult for God. He can forgive. Even sins we're too ashamed to even verbalize. If you ask with sincerity to repent and turn from that sin, it is not too difficult for the Lord God Almighty to grant that forgiveness and bestow upon you that everlasting covenant. He wants to, he desires to, he's already made atonement for you by the, the life of Christ. And he's saying right now, I'm knocking. I wanna come in, I wanna give you the signed, sealed deed of everlasting life. And put it right there in your jar. Will you let him in today? Will you let him in? Consider that. Consider that as we take time to just prepare ourselves for communion. If that's something that, that you've never done. And if it's something that even you need to be encouraged in as a Christian. Encouraged that through your difficult, tough times, there's nothing too difficult for God. His promise is preserved. It'll never go away. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. I remind you of what the New Testament Apostle Paul wrote about our time right now, our time of communion. Paul wrote, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's death, his atonement, his life-giving sacrifice to institute that everlasting covenant. You, when we sit down here, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So then, therefore, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. See, this tells us what a huge thing it was that Jesus gave his life. 
So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Well, this is an excellent time to just look inwardly and to check our own selves and ask ourselves, have we been living by faith? Have, has our household been a household that serves the Lord? Are we crossing the line? Are we, are we stepping away? Are we wavering from Scripture? Are we a Jeremiah who can say, regardless of the situation, there's nothing too difficult for you, God, and believe it. Take time to just look inside right now before we pray over this bread and eat it together. Before I ask a final blessing of the Lord, if there is anyone in this house and you've never really made that commitment to Christ, you've never turned your life over to him, I encourage you, before you leave, come on up. Come on up to these altars. There's one that will talk to you, pray with you, explain to you more if you need clarity. If it's still saying you're staying, it just doesn't make sense. I don't get it. God would come to earth and die for me. Don't leave until you set that matter straight. He's made a promise that's forever. And it's for you. And we're going to uh, continue to be people that lead lives that are lives of worship. I encourage you to come out this Wednesday. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to call on the Holy Spirit to be filling people. We're going to be praying for healing. Make it, make it part of your week. Let's pray, Lord. You're an awesome God. Nothing is too difficult for you. You've created the world by your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too difficult for you. Our lives, whatever we have, whatever we're dealing with, God, we just lay them down, lay it before you, our hearts and our lives. If we need a solution to something, you've got it because nothing is too difficult for you. Lord, I just ask and pray for every single person in this house, everyone joining online, if they need something that seems too far, out of reach, God, nothing's too difficult for you. If there's anyone in this house, anyone connecting online who's thinking, I just can't be following this part of the word of God because it doesn't make sense to me and it's confusing and I can't do it because, because, because. Lord, I pray you'd give them the strength for today to stand up and say, I will do it. I'll be a Jeremiah. I'll do it. Even though it doesn't make sense. And I'll praise your name and I'll ask you for clarity. But I'm going to be obedient. God, I pray that blessing on everyone to be obedient followers of Jesus Christ and his word being faithful and living by faith. Thank you for it, God. Thank you for it. Thank you. And now raise your hands for the final blessing. Lord, bless your people. Bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious unto them. Lift up your countenance upon each one and grant them peace. May the peace of God that passes complete understanding. May the peace of God that doesn't make any sense at all Keep every heart and mind and soul through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ.
Christ. Amen. Amen.